we're in a study of follower. Who is a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, we know all about that. We know what it means to be a Christian, so we know everything about being a follower of Jesus Christ, right? Except I'm learning more. I hope you're learning more. If you have your Bible today, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. A very, a very uh, short passage. And we're talking today about an open invitation. An open invitation. Do you love open invitations? Do you like it when somebody says to you, oh, drop by any time? Do they mean that? Somebody said that to me one time, and I just happened to get back really late from a flight. So at 3 a.m., I went to their house. No, I, I didn't really, but I, I was pretty sure that if I did, I would not be welcomed with open arms because that's not really what they meant. They meant any time when it's convenient for us. And sometimes we say, uh, well, anyone can come. Anyone can come. We, we've had an open invitation like that. You think of the most irritating person that you've ever known. You, you know that person immediately popped into your mind, and do you want them to come live with you? No, you don't. You don't even want them to come visit for a short amount of time, much less spend an extended time. So our open invitation is not really an open invitation. Uh, when we were pulling up to uh, this care f- uh, facility where Kathy's mom is staying in Kadoka, South Dakota, they have this big, huge sign on the front of it because there's an open invitation if you don't do this, and it says, please bring your keys with you. Now, understand, Kadoka, South Dakota, is not, is, it's definitely not Redding. They're not thousands. They're hundreds of people that live in Kadoka, and most of the people that I saw as you walked down Main Street, they would get out and go into the grocery store. Some of them left their cars running. Some of them at least turned it off, and a few of them who were really brave would take the key out and put it in the little, in the little container in between the seats, but I didn't see anybody taking their keys with them. And, and, lo, and lo and behold, one of the days when I was there to see Kathy's mom, a gal got out and she ran into the, to the care center and left her car running. And about that time, one of the people in the care center came out with her walker and she saw the car. And so I just stood there by the front of the car and I said, do you need some help? And she says, no, they won't let me take it for a ride anyway. And she turned around and went back inside. It was raining. It's an open invitation to do something that you should not be doing, which is to take someone else's car. What's an open invitation? Well, we really prefer exclusive invitations. Um, uh, You know, we want you to come over next Friday, this Friday at 6 o'clock, and we're going to fix your favorite meal. We're just going to have a few of our closest friends, and and we want you to do this because we love you and we want to get to know you better, and we're just going to have this wonderful time, just this intimate time with you. That's the invitations we want. We care about you, and so we're going to do this special time for you. But Jesus gives the most open of all open invitations. Look at it in in Luke chapter 9. This is where we're jumping off today. Then he said, that's Jesus, said to them, and what's the next word? Look up. Then he said to them, you have to say it out loud or we're going to keep doing this. Then he said to them, all. Who did he mean by all? All. Very good. If And look at the next word. If anyone would come after me, and then he defines what a follower is. He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's the most open, most inclusive of all the invitations that you will ever see. And that's what Jesus offers us. It's the ultimate open invitation. Anyone, anytime, anywhere, for any reason can come to Jesus Christ. But then he defines what it means 
if you're going to be a follower. And we're going to look at that. Let's look, first of all, at who initiates the invitation. In, in Luke chapter 5, just two verses, Luke chapter 5, two verses, who initiates this invitation? Look at verse 27. After this, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, smartphones work just great. Apps are, are made for that. It's all good. Uh, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector. I prefer to preach this in April, but November will still work. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Now, do you notice he doesn't give this long introduction? He doesn't give this dissertation. He doesn't preach a message. What he says is two words, follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Who initiates the invitation? What part do I play? If you're going to ask the questions, here's the first question that you ask yourself. What part do I play? Because for many, many years in the church, we've done things like this. Would you like to invite Jesus Christ into your life? Would you like to invite Jesus into your life? And the implication there is that you want Jesus to join you. But the problem I have with that sometimes is a lot of believers, a lot of Christians, a lot of followers actually think they're asking Jesus to get in line with them to go where they're going. And Jesus' invitation is totally different. Jesus' invitation is not to, Jesus' thought process is not that we're to invite him to join our lives. His thought process is that he's inviting us to join his life. Is there a difference? There's a huge difference. But we don't get that. We, we, somehow we've nuanced our way out of that. A tax collector in those days, uh, the Greek word is teleones. Teleones is a, is a man or a woman, usually a man. They bid on collecting taxes from their region. They bid on collecting those for the Roman government, and then they would pay them to the Roman government. And what they would do is there was a standard markup that they could have for their income because they would sit by the side of the road as the merchants and the caravans and the farmers came by the road. They would collect the taxes from them. If they, if they didn't see a certain farmer and they were from the area, they would go knock on the door. They would collect the taxes, and then there was a certain markup. The problem was you're still giving the money to the enemy. Because this was not to, the, to, the, to Israel, it was not to the Israeli government, this was to the Roman government because the Jews at that time were under the rule of the Romans. So the tax collector was hated, even if he did it legitimately. And the other problem was, is if, because you're already hated, it, because they already hate you for, for working for the enemy, what most tax collectors, in fact, I can't find a single time when they didn't do this, they cheated. And the standard markup, say, was 10%. They took 20 or 30 or whatever they could get by with. Sometimes 100% more than they were supposed to collect. And they became filthy rich. You have the story a little later in Luke where Zacchaeus is this smaller, diminutive uh, Jewish guy. And he's going up this tree so he can see Jesus. And he's filthy rich because he's cheated people. Not that any of our tax collectors would do that today. There's, there's no scandal in our IRS. We understand that. But he didn't just sin. And the Jewish leaders, the, the, all of the people that were part of the Sanhedrin, they didn't just hate him because he sinned once. His life was a sin. What he did for a living was a sin. Everything that he did was sinful, and it was unthinkable for them 
to think that Jesus, this rabbi, would come and see him still collecting taxes. He's in the midst of doing what's, what they consider such a horrible thing, and he says two words, follow me. I, I also think it's interesting that Luke uses his Jewish name, Levi. It insinuates, it, 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 it at least tells us that he probably was part of the Levitical priesthood, that his father was a, a Levitical priest, his grandfather was a Levitical priest. There's a very strong implication that he was part of the tribe, one of the t- original 12 tribes that, that were to be the priests. They were able to go to the holy place and the holy of holies. These people were supposed to be above the rest. They were supposed to be the holiest of all the people. And instead, he's doing one of the most despicable things. When the list of tax collectors is given in the Bible, you notice they're always there with prostitutes and thieves. The tax collector, how could he go from being one of the holiest to be one of the most obnoxious, the most hated people in all of Israel? But what I think is interesting is from what we see here and everything that we know about Levi, he did absolutely nothing to initiate this. Jesus walks by, sees him in the midst of doing this horrible thing, and he calls out to him and he says, come, follow me. What did Levi do? Nothing. And here's the problem, because we don't really believe that. Today, we believe that God is going to is somehow going to see something good, some glimmer of good in us, and he's going to reach out to us, and we doubt that that God can really do anything, so we help God out, don't we? Don't we do that? What's the favorite verse that a lot of people like to quote? I was watching some of the World Series. Yes, I'm in mourning for the Royals. Those of you who are Giants fans, if you would like to come up, just don't, okay? But I was watching some of the World Series, and, and lo and behold, here was another John 3.16 sign. That's actually not the most quoted verse. I still love it. Kyle Eidelman, a, a pastor, says his favorite sign at one of these sporting events is a guy holds a sign up and he says, now the people behind me can't see. <laughs> but this guy popped up John 3.16, but that's not the most quoted verse. Here's the most quoted verse most people quote today from the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. Where is that found in the Bible? Oh, it's not. Most people attribute that to Ben Franklin, 1767, Poor Richard's Almanac. Actually, other people will say it's from Algernon Sidney, 1698, the Discourse for Con- uh, Concerning Government. But I don't believe that's who authored that. I believe it was a snake in the garden who said, did God really say you could help yourself out by going and eating of the fruit? I think it's as old as sin itself because we have fallen into this. God helps those who help themselves. And so there must be something that we have to do. And we, we're, we're in a long line of people who have done this. It's all through the scripture. There's a place in, in uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 22. Look at what it says. There's a, there's a man comes. His son is demon-possessed, and he's, he's beside himself. He wants Jesus to do something. And what does he say to Jesus? But if you can do anything... He's talking to the Son of God. He's talking to the one who will, who will by himself come back from the dead. He's the one who walks on water. He's the one who, who calms a storm with a word. And he says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. What did Levi do? Levi just got up and left everything and followed. All that we do as far as an invitation 
is follow. All we do is respond to the invitation. Well, then what part does Christ play? That's the second part of this. If, if we don't initiate it, if, if God is the one who initiates it, then, then what does he do? Well, he died on the cross. He spread his arms out. The Son of God who, with a word, created the solar system, all the stars. The very one who, who made the auditory canals and the inner ear and the middle ear and, and all the intricacies so you can hear what I'm saying today, he, he put his hands out and was nailed to a cross in your place and my place. He died in our place. He paid for everything wrong. He took that stain away that we've been singing about, that stain of sin, that, that thing that we could not get rid of. He took it away. He cleansed us, and he offers us, and he makes the most inclusive offer you can make. But again, we find it hard to believe. How many of you have ever gone to a car dealership? Raise your hand. You've ever gone to any car dealership, anytime. You've bought a car, okay? You trusted everything the salesman said, right? And when they gave you the contract, you didn't want to see any of the fine print, right? If you did, let me explain something. Go back and look at that contract again. Look at that fine print. And now they're even doing a thing in California that if the salesman offered something, if they don't write it down, then they don't have to, they don't have to give it. Not that car dealers are crooked. And I, I, I worked for a while for a car dealership who was a Christian, and he, and he tried never to cheat someone. But all contracts today have fine print, and when you see the fine print, then, then you realize you better look at it. And so we're always looking at the fine print here. There's no small print. There's no restrictions. But we still don't believe we'll make the cut. I, I love to watch The Voice. Any of you here watch The Voice? I love The Voice. And these people come out and they sing and you don't get to see what they look like and, and they're waiting for the chairs to turn. And we think that when we come before God that no chairs will turn. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they're just going to stay with their backs to us. But all three chairs turn immediately when we walk out before a word is ever out of our voice or out of, out of our mouth. We have stains. We have flaws. We have sin that we try to ignore or deny or hide. Deny or hide. I have no idea what may have led Levi to go from being a priest to being a tax collector. I have no idea what stain, but there was something there. And God saw him stained, broken, desperate, needing to be healed that we just sang about. And he said, I have the solution. It's the same solution for everyone. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we may be saved. We must be saved. Do you understand? I mean, that's so exclusive. There's this inclusive invitation, but there's only one way to God. There's this huge inclusive invitation, but there's only one road. There's only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. And he invites us to come on that way. Matthew eleven twenty eight says it a different way. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The idea of weary here is so fatigued, so exhausted that you can't take another step. It's not that, oh, I'm a little tired. Oh, I'm, 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 I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, it's literally when you've seen someone there, where they're so fatigued that the lines are etched into their face, and you know they can't go another step. And literally, it's that, it's that person coming and picking them up and carrying them. We used to laugh our youngest son, Jonathan, who's now 34, 5, 34 years old, somewhere in there. John, 34 years old now, but 
there was a time when if John got still, he fell asleep. And we had to watch him. If he was in a high chair, his face would go into the mashed potatoes or whatever. I mean, whatever he was eating, literally, he would be bringing the spoon up and you'd realize he was falling asleep into his, because he, never, he was never still. And he would get so tired that he would fall asleep anywhere. And one time I put him on my shoulder and drove 40 miles with him on my shoulder. I know, it's before car seats and all this. He was an infant and he was asleep and he, he was just nestled in my shoulder and I drove 40 miles home with him on my shoulder put him in his bed and he never knew how he got home have you ever been that fatigued the lord says i'll pick you up and i'll carry you and i'll bring you home who's included if if we know who initiates it it's not us it's god if it's not us it's jesus christ then who's included in this invitation you say well we've already discussed that it's everyone well let's look specifically and see what happens here look at luke chapter 5 because Levi, when he comes and follows the Lord, does something very dramatic, very remarkable. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. You understand what that says? Levi had a party. Levi had a lot of food. Levi had a lot of friends. Probably just kind of like Levi, not necessarily the best characters. But he, but he held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others and the others there would be the the insinuation is sinners and we'll see that later we're eating with them verse 30 but the pharisees and the teachers of the law this is the 72 the sanhedrin and they're milling around this is happening in in galilee so some of them have been following jesus and they're there but the pharisees are the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complain to his disciples why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. See, they substituted the word the second time so we'd know who, what they were talking about. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, or those who think they're righteous, or the self-righteous, but center, sinners to repentance. So who's included in the invitation? Number one, those who admit they need help. Those who admit that they need help. Well, Romans 3 says we all need help. Romans 3 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us needs help. But, but we say that we need help, but do we really mean it? Have you ever said something that you didn't really mean? Uh, well, no, not really. I mean, I, I would never do that. Do we all say that we need to eat right and exercise? We've talked about this before. Is that true? We all need to do that. I ran across a report this week, the top foods at state fairs. Lettuce, green beans, no. Three of them that they just were just giveaways, corn dogs, funnel cakes, and cotton candy. The, the nutritional value of those three is just mind-blowing. But there's some new ones now that they've come up with that are extra special for you in case you haven't heard about them. There's chicken fried bacon. Because bacon by itself is not fat enough, you need to dip it in batter and deep fry it. Or fried Oreos. Three fried Oreos, 670 calories for three fried Oreos. Another one's Krispy Kreme Bacon Cheeseburger. You take a bacon cheeseburger, you put it on two Krispy Kreme donuts, and you smash them down, and you eat the Krispy Kreme bacon cheeseburger. If you want, that's 1,100 calories just for that. If you want the bacon, they will dip it in chocolate for a little extra. 
And my favorite is fried mac and cheese. Homemade mac and cheese, they put all the crumbles on it, and then they put it in a batter, and they deep fry it. 1,756 calories, 167 grams of fat. Uh, just a second, my arteries are clogging just from reading that. Do you know what? If you talk to psychologists, psychiatrists, and they talked about a belief that's not founded in reality, you know what they call that? A delusion. We're living in a delusion that we say we need help, but we live as if we don't need any help. We say that we need help, but we are, the words that come out of our mouths and the way we live are the total opposite. And the Pharisees were in that same boat because they were critical of, Le, uh, of Levi's guests. They said, why are you eating with these tax collectors and sinners? And the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, the religious folk of that day, were looking down their nose at the other people because they said, they're horrible, why would you do that? And Jesus is trying to get across the point that we're all horrible. We're all sinners. I'm a pastor, but I'm a sinner. I'm a pastor's son, and I've been a sinner since the day I was born. I have a sin nature, and I do wrong things, and I say wrong things, and I think wrong things, but I'm forgiven by the grace of God. I'm not a pastor because I'm perfect. I'm a pastor because God has forgiven me and cleansed me. And they weren't comfortable sitting next to what would be akin to the mafia of that day, but they were just as bad. And it's and it's hard to rescue someone who won't admit that they need help. I, I took the Red Cross life-saving as a high school kid, and, and one of the things they said, if someone's still floundering, if they're still making waves, if their head is still above the water, if they're still struggling, don't go out to them because they may drown you. Wait until they've stopped struggling because then they know they need help. And we have so many people in the church that are still struggling and not admitting that they need help. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul makes sure that we understand. Here's a trustworthy saying, Paul writes, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul, who wrote how many books of the New Testament, he says, of whom I am the worst. The invitation is open to those who will admit that they need help. And he had a large crowd of tax collectors and others. Why, why, why tell them that? Why would you do that? Because if you have found a solution to a spot and to a stain, you will tell others. N many years ago, we were struggling in our house. We had a, a rust stain and a sink, and we could not get rid of it. And we tried Comet, and we tried all these different things, and we tried the spray stuff, and we tried the bleach stuff, and, and it would not come out. And I was saying something in a church one time, and somebody says, oh, well, I know what will get that out, barkeeper's friend. And I said, well, I don't have a bar. He says, no, you just buy in the grocery store barkeeper's friend. It'll take out the rust stain. And I said, no, it won't. And he said, just try it. It's a couple of bucks. I went and bought it. We have barkeeper's friend under our sink in the kitchen, and we have used it for years because he got a, st a stain out, and he found out the solution to that, and he told us. And that's exactly what Levi did. He realized he needed help. And he knew some other people who needed help, and he told them about it. My question is, do you? If your stain has been taken out, have you told someone else about how to get rid of the stain? 
He found help and he wanted to help others. Number two, those who know they need a family. Who's included in the, in the invitation? Well, those who, who admit they need help, but also those who, who know they need a family. These, were, these guys became Levi's family. When Levi could no longer go to his genetic family, to his biological family, these other tax collectors accepted him. These were the people he hung out with. These were the people he knew firsthand. Family's important. We spent some time with Kathy's mom, with her brother, with her sister, and, and uh, their families. And, and sometimes we say, well, you, you know, and, I've, and I've been guilty of saying this. I'm giving the invitation at the end, and I say, you're coming to Jesus Christ, you're not joining a church. Well, that's true, and it's not true. Because if you come to Jesus Christ, his family comes with it. If you come to Jesus Christ, all of those who are in Christ come with it. When I married Kathy, her sister Susan, her brother David, her sister Mary, her mom, Lova and Jean Bushnell, all of them came with that. And I, man, I'm blessed by being a part of a family that is so loving and giving and, and an incredible family. But Christ is the head of the church, the body. And, you know, we would find it offensive if somebody came to me and they said, you know what, Pastor, we love you, but we really don't like Kathy. We love you, Pastor, but we don't like your grandkids. Now we're going to fight. Now there's trouble. Or if they would say, if Kathy would say as my wife, honey, I love you, but I hate your body. She might have said something about my spare tire, but that's a totally different thing. I mean, you would never say that. So why would we say that about Christ? I mean, there are people today who say, I love the Lord, but I'm not going to come to his church. I love the Lord, but I don't want to hang out with Christians. I love the Lord, but it doesn't work that way. David Platt, in his book called Follow Me, says this, It is not some consumer-driven, latte-at-the-door, Disney-themed preschool and children's ministry. It is not some cutting-edge band, state-of-the-art entertainment conglomerate. It is people, because the church is people. It's not this, you know, we talk about coming to church. The truth is, when you're with other believers, you are at the church. The church is people. And we, it's not some brick and mortar thing. It's, it's this. I can prove it to you. Uh, look at Acts chapter 9, verse 4. This is a story of Saul. He's going out and he's going to kill Christians. And he's going to Damascus. He's already been there at the, at, when... Um, when Stephen was there, and he held the coats while they stoned him to death. I mean, he was going to Damascus to get the Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem so they could be executed. This guy, literally, he considered himself a murderer, and rightly so. He was bringing Christians to kill them. And he's on the road to Damascus. A bright light comes down, and he falls on his knees, and he hears the voice, and he's talking. And he later says, I saw the Lord. It wasn't just a voice. It, the Lord came to me, and he's talking to Jesus and so it's he, that Saul, fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? There's not a single place in the New Testament tells us that Saul ever persecuted Jesus Christ. There's not a single place in the New Testament that says that he ever went to Jesus while he was alive and directly confronted him or said bad things to him. There's no time in the New Testament when we know that. But we do know that he persecuted the Christians. And what Jesus is saying is, if you mess with my family, you mess with me. If you mess with my body, the church, you mess with me. If you mess with my children and my grandchildren, you mess with me. 
What was Jesus' pattern? He sailed with them and he ate with them and, and he, he fished with them. He slept with them and he walked with them and he talked with them and he prayed with them and he worshiped with them. He showed them the scripture and he, they, they studied together. They lived together. They loved together. And when we finally understand what it means to be a part of a church family, then we're ready to accept the invitation. Again, David Platt in, in his book, he says this, the Bible portrays the church as a community of Christians who care for one another, love one another, host one another, receive one another, honor one another, serve one another, instruct one another, forgive one another, motivate one another, build one another up, encourage one another, comfort one another, pray for one another, confess sin to one another, esteem one another, teach one another, show kindness to one another, give to one another, rejoice with one another, weep with one another, hurt with one another, and restore one another. All of these one another's combined together paint a picture not of people who come to a building filled with customized programs, but of people who have decided to lay down their lives to love one another. And here's the third group. Those who admit they need help, those who know they need a family, and those who long to be loved just as they are. Those who long to be loved just as they are. It's so easy for us to get to the point where we think we have to do something. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin that day, they were thinking, look at all the things we have done. Look at all of the instructions we know. Look at all the Bible that we've memorized. Look at all the things that we can recite. And most of the, sad, uh, the Pharisees, at least, could have memorized the whole first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and they could recite Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They knew all the law. They could recite it to you. But it didn't do them any good. Kathy and I, when we leave, we have a house sitter. We have two dogs that we treat like children. They're spoiled rotten. If you come to our house and you don't like our dogs, just be quiet about it because they're our kids. They're spoiled. They, I, I admit it right up front. They have Canadian bacon every morning. What can I say? I mean, they're spoiled. And we have a house sitter. Her name is Cindy Jacobs. She does a fantastic job. But what if I came back after being away for a week and by the way, before we leave, we have this computer sheet that we print off of on the computer, and it says, Dear Cindy, this is where we'll be. This is our cell phone numbers. This is the dog's vet number. Here's, if, they, if you need a credit card, we'll give it. All the instructions on the house. What if we came back after a week, and all the plants were dead? Oh, they were dead before we left. Okay, let's go to something else. But the dogs were not fed or watered. What if we came back and the mail was just piled up so that it was falling off of the, off of the, the uh, countertop? What if the trash was overflowing and none of it had been dumped? What if we came back and the toilet had been stopped up and it had overflowed and nobody had mopped it up? If I came in, the first thing I would say to whoever was house-sitting, it wouldn't be Cindy because Cindy would never do that, but I would say to the house-sitter, did you not see my instructions and what if that person said to me, oh, absolutely, I got the instructions. I love the instructions. I read them every night. I memorized part of them. Let me recite some of the instructions to you. Do you think I'd be happy? And that's what we do. And that's what the Pharisees did. Because they knew all the instructions. They just didn't live them. They didn't follow them. They didn't do them. 
They didn't care about them. They just memorized them. And that's not what it says. It says, those who are included are those who long to be loved just as they are. Jesus said we can be loved in spite of our flaws, our sins, our stains, our sins, everything we've done wrong. And all we have to do is accept his invitation to come find what real love is in Jesus Christ. But we still may not get it. Look at this last verse, and we'll close with this. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. This is one of the most terrifying verses in all of the Bible, this passage. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that's, that's a title. That means boss, the one in control. Not everyone who says, okay, okay, I'm giving you control. Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, follow him. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Now get this. Did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we tell the future? Didn't we, didn't we say in Jesus' name we know that this is going to happen? Today we have people going around saying, I had a word from the Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? They're going to say, we drove out demons. There were, these people were demon-possessed and the demons left in your name and performed many miracles. I've got news for you. I've never prophesied the future. I've never driven out a demon and I've never performed a miracle in my life. These people should be more spiritual, more religious than I have ever dreamed of being. And what does he say? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. You know what would be horrible? It would be horrible if he said to a few, but look at the middle of that verse. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, many will say to me on that day. I'm not here to scare you. I'm just here to ask you one more time, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you accepted his invitation? Do you follow him? It's not about the miracles. It's not about the prophecy. It's not about driving out demons. It's not about quoting someone's name. It's not about what you do. Who do you know? But even more than that, who knows you? Who knows you? When we were coming back from South Dakota, Tuesday night, Tuesday night we were flying back. It was game six of the World Series. We flew from, uh, we drove to Rapid City. From Rapid City, we flew to Salt Lake City. From Salt Lake City to L.A. That makes sense. And then from L.A. to, uh, to Sacramento. And then we drove the two and a half hours. We weren't getting into Sacramento until about 9.30, 9.45. And so we knew it was going to be a late night. And we were already exhausted. We'd spent five days going through Kathy's mom's apartment. We were exhausted. And I looked at Kathy. She looked at me. We're in LAX. And we said, let's grab something to eat. It's going to be a late night. And we looked everywhere in the part of the airport where we were. Where we were. And Kathy finally got a, a sandwich from a vendor, like 8 or $9 for a sandwich that was inedible. And I paid $16 for a hot chicken sandwich, which was even more inedible. I mean, we could have gone to a really nice restaurant for what we were spending on junk food in L.A., but we were trying to do this, and the, the World Series was on, and Kathy knew it, and she said, let's sit over here, and you can see the TV, and I'll eat the sandwich, and we'll have this meal. And the Royals were winning. It was game six. The Royals were winning. It was game six, okay. 
been 29 years since the Royals went to the World Series. Kathy was being so kind to me, and she was being gracious to me, and she was letting me watch it, and she was not interrupting, and, and the Royals were scoring, and it was exciting. And, and then I looked at my wife that I met 10 years before the Royals went to the last World Series, 39 years ago. In fact, 42 years ago I met her. And I could see the fatigue etched in her face, the, the weariness, and the emotional strain of having to see your mom go to a nursing home. And it broke my heart. And I wasn't enjoying the sandwich, and I was no longer enjoying the game. There's nothing wrong with watching sports, but it dawned on me that what was important at that moment was not a ball game. It was my wife. And I said, let's go over here where we can sit. It's more comfortable. We can relax a little bit, spread our stuff out. And we sat, and I didn't need to see the game because I have something a whole lot more important. Because this woman has accepted me with all of my faults, with all of my flaws, and she's loved me for almost 40 years. That's a whole lot more important than any game. And it dawned on me as I was sitting there next to her, and she was tired, and we'd kind of, we'd kind of lean on each other, and we got on the plane, and when we got in the car, she was so tired, and I said, it's okay, I'm not sleepy right now, go ahead and go to sleep. And she said, but I want to stay awake with you, which means she's afraid that if she goes to sleep, I will kill us both. <laughs> and she nodded yes, that's the first time she's admitted that. She reached out at one point, she reached her hand, and she said, I'm just so tired, can I just close my eyes for a minute? And she reached out her hand, and she touched me, and we connected one more time. And I just rem remember again thinking how great it is to be known and loved by someone who knows all your flaws. And then I remember that there's someone who knows me even more than my wife of almost 40 years. And he has loved me, and he died for me, and he knows me, and he lives in me. And if he doesn't live in you, I'd love for you to know that today. Let's pray. What an amazing God you are, Father. We don't deserve you, but we need you. We don't deserve you, but you've called us to be part of your family. We don't deserve you, but you've offered to take us just as we are. We don't have to get any better. We don't have to jump through any hoops. We can't earn it. It's all grace. It's all mercy. It's all what happened on the cross. Father, I love you. I love you for loving me. And I love you for including me in an invitation when I was not quite five years old. And Father, I, in my heart, I feel like there's someone here today who still needs to do that, to have you living inside them loving them, guiding them, and teaching them. So reach out to them, Father. Invite them one more time. And I just pray, Father, that today they'll respond. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not here to embarrass you. We have chairs along the front. Steve and Jackie are over here. Wave at us, Steve and Jackie. Deacon and his wife, they'd love to pray with you. They just want to help you to accept that same invitation that Levi, who later became known as Matthew, who later wrote the first gospel, the same invitation that he accepted. If you just want to, if you have a spiritual need of any kind, you want to pray, just come to the front. You can sit on one of these chairs. Let's stand together as we sing, Just As I Am. <laughs>